Welcome back to another episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Micah, this is probably as enthusiastic as we've ever been together on the pod, and that's because we are taping this based, what, two and a half weeks before the actual NBA season starts around there, and we've got a new round of NBA content to go through, a whole hell of a lot of questions to answer, and a whole lot of basketball to watch. It's good to have you finally back on. It's been way too long. Always a pleasure of mine. I'm so glad that the hiatus is over. October 18 is the magic number, and we are slowly making our way there. But the NBA preseason is already underway. It's been going on for a couple of days now. There are lots of things to break down from media day, as well as some controversies within teams. And just to look ahead to the season, trying to forecast what we should expect. So the, the purpose of this episode, this is now my second straight year doing this. We're going to rank the top 25 players in the league. And I think this is a good exercise for a couple reasons, but we always say this. Yes, like the well-rounded teams always do well, but it's teams that have the best of the best in the league that usually are the favorites to win. It helps us understand, do teams have more than one superstar? It helps us evaluate how are we tiering the superstars. So my first kind of question for you before we jump into this segment what is your criteria for how do you rank your top 25? So, and again, we're doing the top 25 for, for this upcoming season. And I, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, first off, I'm going to say that availability is certainly an ability that you must have. So, for example, players that have played less than half of the games for the last couple of seasons are going to be a little bit lower on my list than where they otherwise should be if they're a a shoe-in to play at least 60, 65 games every season. So that's certainly one of the criteria that I look for. Another thing that I look for is versatility in a player's game, their ability to not necessarily play multiple positions, but guard multiple different schemes on that end, as well as offensively. Are they simply just a pick-and-roll threat and they don't have the ability to play faster if need be? Are they somebody that only can stretch the floor on one end of the floor? Are they somebody that has the full arsenal? Not necessarily a three-level scorer, but one of the things that I look for is, is this player necessarily more of the well-rounded, or are they a pointed player that is absolutely elite at a couple of different things, and that helps put them above some of the other players who aren't necessarily great at anything but are good at a lot of things, are probably going to be a little bit lower on the list because there are just so many players in this league that are really, really good that, quite frankly, are not going to be able to make the top 25 because there's so much talent in the pool at this point. I basically have that same criteria. The only two things I have is one one of them is a hypothetical, which is if you surround this player with average talent, in other words, like your standard right right equal above value replacement player, how good is that team based on the skill sets of these players? And I don't know if you factor this in, but I like to factor in also playoff upside just because I feel like if, if the goal of an NBA season is to win the title, you, don't, you not only want a guy that's available and versatile, you also want a guy that can has proven that they can be a championship player and ha, can has the skill set that they can be a championship player. I, 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 I don't know if you're going to factor that in, but that's definitely that's on my list at least. So on the note of playoff upside, one of the things that that means to me that I'm not necessarily going to say that it means to you, more often than not, playoff upside just means that this player is built for contact of the playoffs, as well as somebody that's a little bit bigger. Because if you look at the history of the league, 
there's never really been a player at any point that's been the best player in the league shorter than about 6'5 or 6'6, which even then it would have been Kobe and MJ, who are the shortest. Curry has never been that. IT was never that. Stockton, you want to name it. So when it comes to playoff upside, you need to have a guy that is (laughs) their ability to just put the ball in the deck and get to the rim. If nothing is working offensively, you have to have a route to get to the free throw line and their ability to just beat defenses with demoralizing shots because there's just nothing you can do to guard some of those actions. For versatility, I have two subcategories. One of them is versatility in the sense of like, if you're facing a really good team and they take away your plan A, can you go to a plan B or C? And we'll get into Curry, of course, and some other guys, but like Curry against the Celtics in the finals is a good example where no, the Celtics had no answer for Curry because he had like 15 different weapons on offense to go to and his skill set was amazing. But I also think versatility in the sense of like, if you, this is the way I want to frame it. If you have a weakness, because let's be honest, not every player is an all around jack of all trades, master of all. How detrimental is that one weakness to your team? And I think we'll, that'll be a lot of subject, subjectivity and back and forth here. But I, I think we're ready to crack open the top 25. Before we do this, do we want to break this up into groups of players of five? Or do you have a tier-based system? Because I, I kind of can be flexible on my end. So the way that I like to think about the league in terms of the hierarchy is the pyramid scheme. And there's essentially set in stone tiers of where I like to see players fall. So I'm fine doing both. I would first off like to give honorable mentions to some players that are really, really good that unfortunately are not one of the top 25 players in the league right now, but under other circumstances definitely would be. So I'm going to start that way. I can go ahead and give my honorable mentions and then 21 through 25. Oh, you want to do the reverse order? Ooh, I like this. Oh yes, no. I would like to count down. What, what's, to I like this. Let's do the reverse order. This is this is because the last time we did this, yeah. we did the inverse. But I think this will be more fun if we did the opposite. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, so honorable mentions. I'm gonna go ahead and start with Minnesota, which is Anthony Edwards. This Ooh, is somebody who okay. has taken a significant leap both of the first two seasons of his career, and now you're looking into season three, where people have mentioned All NBA at least his first all-star game appearance. Both of those things are well within reach. I will say that I currently have him outside of the all-NBA tier, specifically amongst his position, because it's a very loaded position, especially at the guard nowadays. And one of the things that keeps him out of the top 25 tier, especially amongst those other guards, his inability at this point to really play cerebrally He's also somebody that doesn't really use his size very well defensively. And that's one of the things that you saw, especially in the Minnesota Minnesota versus Memphis series. One of the reasons why Minnesota struggled to just get off the floor defensively is his ability to just get picked apart in pick and roll. And that's one of the things that Memphis was doing a lot of, while John Moran also had his shortcomings on that end. Minnesota struggled to find baskets late in games, And there's this idea of a front runner when it comes to Anthony Edwards. So he misses out slightly. Okay. The other two guards that miss out slightly, I have SGA and Kyrie. Yep. Both for completely different reasons. But like I said, availability is a great ability and that cannot be underestimated. So 
SGA is already going to start the season hurt, and who knows how much he'll play given the fact that Chet is out for the season. And it looks like the Thunder are once again going to punt on the season for their own good. Kyrie is also in that category because he missed most of last season, and then even when his team needed him in the Celtics series, he played a great game one, then was essentially non-existent games two through four. And that's something that you look at and you say, well, Boston, on the one hand, is a terrific defensive team, especially against guys who want to put the ball in the deck and get to the floor because they have defenders at all three levels. But at the same time, Kyrie is frankly just not really good at anything in his game outside of scoring. He's an absolutely elite shooter as well as a scorer from all three levels. But one of the things that the Celtics keyed into more than other teams that would guard Kyrie, force him to his left, and you can make him a passer. If you can do both of those two things, you're going to limit his ability to put the ball in the deck, get where he wants to get on the floor, and he looked like a limited offensive threat. The last player that I'm going to get to before I actually get to the top 25 is Bam Adebayo. Wow, okay, okay. essentially know what he represents on the defensive end, and that is borderline... Well, it's at least all defensive level, borderline defensive player of the year conversation any given year. However, this past season, he didn't really take a step forward on the offensive end and was actually passive too much of the series against the Celtics. He had a tremendous late game, or excuse me, he was tremendous late in that series. However, the games three through five, when it looked like nothing was going well for the Miami Heat, largely that was due to their inefficiency when it came to scoring within the paint and not really having any way to stretch the floor as a big. He was somebody who I would have thought of a year ago as having him circled on my is going to make a big jump list and is going to be one of the 15 to 20 best players in the league. But I was obviously wrong on that end, and he just barely misses the cut for the top 25. So I, for the most part, have actually the same – Honorable mentions. The only thing I actually have Bam in my top twenty-five, and we'll talk about him. The hardest one for me, honestly, was two. It was Kyrie, and it was Gobert. Because Gobert, I had as a, I can see him as high as twenty, and as low as out missing the the list entirely. So I'll give you my twenty-one through twenty-five, and we'll break it down. Okay. Twenty-one, Drew Holiday. Twenty-two is James Harden. Twenty-three, I had Chris Paul. 24, Bam Adebayo, 25, Rudy Gobert. So there's the basic premise for all of these five players is if they're the second best player on your team, you're a borderline contender safely. You look at Philly, you look at Utah last year, you look at all these teams, Miami last year, etc. The hardest one for me to grade, honestly, of that list is, Go- is Gobert and it's Chris Paul. Because with Chris Paul, I have to factor in the... He's going to regress because, you know, the point guard to our, like, he's basically doing what Stockton's doing. And at a certain point when you're in your late 30s as a small point guard, you're going to regress. But honestly, the, the tough one for me is Gobert, man, because Minnesota gave up a lot for him, which means he still has value clearly in the league. He can make your floor super good, but you also know this being the Jazz fan you are, just the ceiling on a team when Gobert is your second best player and teams can go at him in the five-out offense – there's also a case for me. Minnesota has way better defensive personnel too, so it's really uh, I need to see it first to be honest. But what are your thoughts on Drew Holiday twenty first, Harden twenty second, 
Chris Paul 23rd, Bam 24, and uh, Gobert 25. So, first off, I like, I don't love the Drew Holiday selection. He is not in my top 25. Okay. And the reason that is is because I think more than anything this past postseason taught us the value of Chris Middleton when it came to the Bucks' ability to be able to have five shooting threats and the ability to have a legitimate floor spacer and more of that Kobe to Shaq role in a light version with Middleton and Giannis. So that's one of the things that I found was more of a deficiency on their end of the floor, which is why I still have Middleton as the second best player on that team. Oh, I've got Middleton and, higher. Don't worry. We're, we'll get to Middleton. Oh, oh okay, okay. This is where it gets fun. <laughs> it is, okay, this is where it gets fun then. CP3, I am right with you. One player that I have in my top 25, which I'll go ahead and go through 25 through 21 in that order before we get to the top 20, is Cat at 25. He, he, was a, he was a borderline, by the way. I had him 20, I had him 29, so in the same tier yeah, almost. Okay. So I have Cat just barely inside of the top 25, alongside Gobert at 24. I'm not really sure who the best player on that team is. I know that each of them make up for their weaknesses on one end of the floor. A lot of me thinks that of it more as a Dirk and Tyson Chandler-like relationship, and we know how that wound up working really well for Dallas. So that's one of the potential upsides to the Minnesota Timberwolves this season. Everything that Cat doesn't do well, Gobert is arguably the best in the league at. And when it comes to offensive deficiencies, Gobert is arguably the best pick-and-roll big in the league. Not even just pick-and-pop, but just he has led the league in dunks each of the last four seasons. I expect him to do a lot of the same. And the way that him and Cat can work together when it comes to an inside-out big big relationship that's potentially going to be really scary and really hard to defend for the rest of the league so they get the 25 and 24 then 23 22 21 in that order cp3 at 23 which i think is probably the perfect same same as me too by the way yeah we were spot on middleton at 22 and I have Anthony Davis, actually, at 21. Wow, you are low on AD. Holy crap, we'll have to do yeah, that. We'll I'm very to... low on AD because I haven't really seen anything from him since the bubble that would tell you, are we looking at a player who just basically gets his ring, gets his money, and then just decides that I don't really have to do much for the rest of my career. I've already accomplished everything. Jesus. Or are we talking about a player who this season needs to come out and finally take the reins as the top player on the Lakers because that's where he should be in the juncture of his career. He is at a legitimate crossroads and probably one of the, fl- the players on the short list that are facing a ton of pressure this season. So I actually don't have him in my top 20, and that may or may not just be me wanting to put a little chip on his shoulder. I have him in the category and the tier of CP3 and Middleton, who are, when they're at their best, really some of the best players in the league, But like I said, Chris Middleton is getting older and he's coming off of injury. We saw just the blatant deficiencies that Milwaukee had, especially in their half-court offense against a team like Boston who can really expose those deficiencies if you don't have all of your pieces. And CP3, who is, you know, one more twisted ankle away from being out of the league. And the Suns, quite frankly, have looked awful and have basically imploded from a behind-the-scenes Angle. A hint, hint. They're one of my favorite underlocks of this season, just based on how the the math is playing out right now in the off the court drama. 
Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even need to mention Robert Sarver, by the way, because yeah, that's for a yeah, separate yeah, episode. Yeah, we, we will get there at some point, especially when it comes to that team. And a lot of that hinges on the shoulders of Chris Paul. We know that he is a guy that has historically just folded at biggest moments. And the last time that we saw him on the court, he didn't even score a basket until the end of the third quarter in that, you know, what do you call it, the Hindenburg of a Game 7 that – the Phoenix Suns showed up and got outscored in the first half by Luka Doncic. So that was inexplicable, inexcusable, just you name it in terms of the adjective. So he is on the outside looking into the top 20. So the big, so the big disagreement if, if so far with the list is, of course, Anthony Davis. And we'll say because I've got him 10 spots, I think, higher than you do. It's, it's nine spots higher than you do. So that's a, that's a disagreement. So where, where's Bam Adebayo? Is he barely missing the cut for you? Because I've got him 24. He is the player that was just – he was knocking on the door and was almost in, but the bouncer was like, wait a minute, you're not 21 until next week. It's so hard with him because I think there's a case he could be top 20, like 2021. 20, but it is hard to – I've done this with a couple like a couple guys I have just doing the heat pods where – God damn it. He's the same player he was in the bubble as he is now. Like, the only thing that's a little bit more improved is that he's willing to take the mid-ranger. But we keep saying, add a three-pointer. Get off the, like, uh, the dribble handoffs with Robinson and Strews. Do something else. And he is the same. Like, he's gotten better defensively. I'd say that's approving. He's, he's actually, like, a, a capable all-defense guy, like you said. But we saw with Boston where we saw this with the Lakers, too, where at some point... If you can't be a second initiator, and Miami, their big concern is Butler's a horrible three-point shooter and Bam can't shoot. So it's like if you're not going to be that creator, and off we've seen this before. As much as defense wins championships, you got to score the damn ball in this league to really – even Golden State, even if their, de- their defense was amazing in that Boston series, but also they could just score. Like Boston just had no offense toward the end of that series. And I think we've seen it in the playoffs last year where offense mattered. The teams with the better offenses – like, it was a reason why Milwaukee sucked last year against the Celtics. They couldn't score, really. It's a math equation. At some point, you need to get to 110 points in a playoff game. And if you can't do that, then you're out. Yeah, I fully agree. And that's one of the reasons why I don't have Bam there is, like you mentioned, it feels like he's hit a plateau. And at this time last year, I would have thought that he was going to be the guy that took a massive jump. But that obviously didn't happen. And now we have this Tyler Hero contract extension where the (laughs) Miami Heat, in a way, are telling me that they think Tyler Hero is their second best player or should be given the money. And this is an episode I'll have out actually on Thursday doing like a little Eastern Conference way too early standings. And I'm going to do a solo segment on the Heat to update the the pod. And one thing I'm going to call out is... Miami could just be the same. This is like 2020 and 2021 repeating again where they run it back and everything goes wrong. Now, the thing with Bam is that he's still, what, 23 or 24? He's, he's, he can still make a leap, but I think there's questions there. Who was, who was your 21st and 22nd players? We didn't get to those. So, yes. Well, actually, no. Anthony Davis was 21. Oh, that's right. God, we'll, we'll save him. <laughs> so, yes. I can go ahead now to the... 20 through 15, which are DeMar DeRozan at 20. Wow, I didn't have him ranked. Holy crap. <laughs> I, I, I didn't value too much the offensive players who are in their mid-30s who don't give me much upside. So that, that's more on me. That's my personal criteria. <laughs> so, okay, everything that I saw from DeMar DeRozan this past season was very encouraging. I can't really say much about the playoff performance because I never really gave them a shot against Milwaukee anyway. 
I was pleasantly surprised that a guy that has always been a playoff failure was finally able to put up a 40 point playoff game. Could, could you say you were pleased with the, he was he was pleased with this performance as Sean Tucker would put it? <laughs> he yeah, was ple- I mean, he was finally pleased with one playoff game. <laughs> yes, so I have DeMar DeRozan at 20. Okay. I have Brandon Ingram at 19. Paul George at 18. Zion Williamson at 17. James Harden at 16 and Donovan Mitchell at 15. Holy crap. Okay, we got a lot to unpack here. So, let's start with this. Harden, I'm going to skip cuz I have him 22, but I feel like it's the same range of like if he's healthy and he's good, he'll be a second best player on a title team. The one I actually thought we would be disagreeing on that we're kind of close is Zion. You had him 17, I had him 15. So we're in the same ballpark. Here's the, here's the here's the real fucking kicker though. Uh, I didn't actually have I had Donovan Mitchell 26. Uh I, wow. I, 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 I don't know what it is. Like I went back and forth, but I, the deep here, here's the case. Let me at least hear it out. Cause you're, you're a jazz fan and I want you to defend this, but here, here was my case I've against all of the criticism. Here, here was my case against Mitchell. We've seen now that when you build the optimal team around him, you're still sure in the playoffs. And I think there is a real concern of if he is your best player in terms of, can I win a title with him? The answer is a hundred percent. No, even if he's your second best player, I personally think, given his size, how bad he's been on defense the last two years, and the fact that Utah basically ran the perfect offensive system around him and they still struggled to score, he's had his playoff moments, but he's also had his playoff blunders. And especially toward the last, what, three seasons where, I'm sorry, I can't get over that with Luka out, they lose multiple games with out Luka Doncic in that Dallas series, blowing the 28-point lead to the Clippers in the 21 playoffs. The bubble, like the bubble, he performed great, but there's still so many question marks with him to the point where I think the reason why Cleveland got him was you could be our scorer, but we're going to surround you with even more defense, another ball handler. In other words, you need to invest a lot to have Mitchell as your go-to guy. And that's the reason why I would have probably had him in the 21 to 25 range, the Cleveland trade, I think, changed my perception of him. But I'll let you be the devil's advocate here for because you're you're you have him what fifteen? You have him basically as a borderline All NBA player by by all standards. Yes, and that's one of the things that I think people probably overlook at him. If you take his playoff stats from the last three years combined, he's still the second best shooter in the NBA, only behind Steph Curry from three point range. He's taking over 10 threes a game, and he's hitting 42% of them. So when it comes to pull-up shooting, which is the most important three-point metric, it's the most important kind of three-point shot in the NBA, he is the second best in the NBA when it comes to volume shooters only behind Steph Curry. So that's one. Number two is the defensive woes, which is a reason why he's never going to be among the absolutely elite guards in the entire NBA. And 15... While it may be a little bit high, it's also a number that I think that he's capable of hitting, given the fact that he is now going to be the primary scorer, as well as a guy that's going to be able to move well without the ball in Cleveland. He is not going to be a guy that has the ball in his hands pretty much at all times, even though Mike Conley was technically the point guard. So one of the things that I think you'll see when it comes to a switch in his game, now that he'll be in Cleveland this coming season, He is going to be legitimately a guy that is more decisive with his playmaking. One of the things that really set the Jazz back this past season is every time that he would catch the ball when he was not the one bringing the ball up the floor, he was very questioning when it came to how he wants to get others involved versus having to play his ram that actually put him in a position to succeed. 
I expect his turnover to an, to assist ratio to drop this season and him to actually be one of the most efficient volume scorers in the NBA. I think that he is also one of those players that could be a dark horse to challenge for the score for the scoring title this season. I agree. Because one of the reasons why he has had some of those inefficiencies in Utah is because Utah honestly played a little too fast for his ability to be able to be a knife, jackknife pick and roll threat, as well as a guy that was basically just an inside out guy. Well, it was also a case of like heliocentrism on crack. The entire offense was Mitchell Gobert spread pick and roll and repeat that for all 82 games. And I think with a more diversified offense, like, because the way I'm trying to explain this, Mitchell out of the top 25 I have besides maybe Zion and Anthony Davis, they're my top three players with Mitchell on their rating can improve way better or like way better. That's the bottom line. I could see Zion taking a leap. I could see AD being back to a top 10 guy, but Mitchell's my number one because he he's the guy for me that I think he could be in my top easily 15 to 20 range if he proves it in Cleveland. Because this is the thing. He's never actually had a like competent team around him in terms of like all around guys uh, multiple ball handlers like Mike Conley. Let's be honest, was past his prime. Ru- Ricky Rubio is not a efficient shot creator in today's NBA, especially with the point guard position. I-, I think it's it's fair to put Mitchell that high, just given the new team, the new setting. But it's also a prove it year too, just based on it's it's an entirely different team with an entirely new set of players. It is. It is an entirely new team. It's also probably the team since the Jazz returned from the bubble when they had the best record in the NBA. It's probably the team going into the season has the highest expectations that he's ever been a part of. And when you start to look at whether the team is going to be on that fringe contender or just barely on the outside looking in of that conversation, you basically are looking at two different things. You're looking at whether or not Mitchell is going to be the playoff superstar that we saw from the last two seasons before this last year and the fact that whether or not Evan Mobley can be the legitimate number two versus just more of that fringe committee number two like Mitchell has always played with. He's never had a legitimate go-to 20 to 22 point per game score alongside him. And if Evan Mobley is going to take one of those Kevin Garnett career trajectories, you could be talking about essentially at one point, Mitchell is not the best player on his own team. And that only could be spelling great things for Cleveland. Where did you have Chris Middleton? I've got him in my uh, top. I got him exactly at 20. And it's kind of on a note of like three and D wing. We saw with Milwaukee the value of not having him on the court. He's a durable player. He'll be back healthy. He's got the jack of all trades, master of none. He has the big playoff games that remember the Phoenix series. What was it? Game four or five? He dropped like thirty something, and it yeah, was he was matching Devin Booker shot for shot. Yeah. So where'd you have him on your list? Was he in the top twenty? He was just barely on the outside. He was number 22. Same, same, same range, though, with John. Just ahead of CP3 and just behind Anthony Davis. So that we got to have then the James Harden conversation with I've got him 22 and you had him, what, 16, 17? Yep, I, have him, I have him at 16, just ahead of Zion and just behind Donovan. So, so what's the reason you have him a little bit higher than I do? Because the case against it for me, I'm not being a pessimist, but 
I think people are trying to assume that the Harden of old is back, but there's so many miles on this guy. Like, I'm not going to call it Allen Iverson 2.0. Harden's way bigger and way stronger. But the career trajectory is kind of the same. Once you run these guards into the ground, like Dwayne Wade is another example. At a certain point with shooting guards who rely so much on physicality and drawing fouls and kind of like playing a bulldozing type scheme as a smaller player, I feel like... The, you wear out your welcome a little bit faster than the bigger wings that, and we kind of hinted at this earlier, but why are you a bit higher on Harden as a borderline top 15 guy? Well, it's really for two different reasons. One of the reasons why is for the first time really since Harden was in Houston, he has a legitimate set in stone role for a team where he is going to rock into this. Essentially, I see the Harden and Embiid duo more like Magic and Kareem. Or how about uh, Hakeem and Drexler? Is that a good, that, that another one? Rock, uh, kind of? Harden's not quite as scooty as Drexler. <laughs> scooty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of a weird term, but scooting is kind of what I think of when I think of Clyde the Glide. Same, essentially the same thing. Well, Harden's got a bit more pounds on him, so I'll give you that. Harden definitely does. But Harden actually has slimmed down to start this season, and we've seen... Essentially, throughout Harden's career, it looks like the guy can put on and off 30 pounds basically overnight. And he is at the point in his career when he still has potential every night to look like the best player, not only on the team, but one of the best offensive threats in the entire league. I think that you're going to get one of those seasons where it's basically his last really good season because he understands that this is a team that actually has a chance to contend for a title if he is the legitimate number two. And he's going to his first full season with the Sixers. That's something that obviously he is going to look better this season, assuming that he is at the point in his career when he has to look himself in the mirror and go, I can still be a really, really good player in this league, but I'm just going to have to put aside going to the strip club every night, having drinks with friends before and after every game, and basically treating NBA like a business versus a hobby, which is what he was able to do for many of his years in Houston when he could look like he was just a bloated, overweight, old guy in the league and still come out and give you 45, 50, basically like it was nothing. So Harden nowadays, I think he understands his role legitimately more with this team more than anything. And honestly, it's more of just a projection of, I think the guy knows what his team is capable of and knows his role set in stone. And even if coming off of this past season, it was underwhelming, I don't necessarily see that as something that's going to hold him back. I still see him as somebody where I go, if he is my team's number two, we have a shot. We have a legit shot against any team in the league. Well, and I think I underrated this in my criteria, and you definitely properly rated this. But if we're doing the, if you surround him with average talent, is your team still capable of just being good? Hard and skill set. If you just give him like a what a couple shooters and basically a pick and roll big man, you're gonna have a good offense, and I think that matters too. The question is, of course, the injuries because we've seen back twenty one and twenty two the 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 wear and tear on Harden, but we also have now a full season with Embiid, full year with this team. Philly's reconstructed, so I agree with that. Before we do the top 15, because I've got a couple guys that are in your 15 through 20, I've actually got a little higher, like Paul, I think you said Paul George, I've got him. Yep. Yeah, I have George at 18 and Ingram at 19. So we got to do Ingram. Ingram I had as another honorable mention. I don't, like, oh, I, so I, I, here's the thing, like, 
He's a, he's your most valuable position, which is the versatile wing that can score and actually be like pretty not bad on defense. But I've got him like as like a twenty nine to thirty player, and you've got him as like a basically secure top twenty. What 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 appeals to you so highly with Brandon Ingram that just says he's got to be in the conversation? So one of the things that's squarely away with Brandon Ingram is he has right now in his arsenal the second most important mid-range shot in the league behind only Kevin Durant because Durant shoots it at a lights-out alien level. One of the reasons why Brandon Ingram will always have that shot and, and be able to get to his spots whenever he really wants to is because teams are so focused on the three-point line and the rim. One of the things that I expect over these next couple of seasons, and it's one of the reasons why Kevin Durant, his longevity over the next few seasons, I expect him to be just as durable in terms of being able to score his same career average of 27 a night every single season, is because teams overplay the rim and the three-point line, and his ability to create in the 10 to 16-foot range is ultimately what Boston didn't really have in the playoffs, and it's one of the reasons why Jason Tatum, when we talk about that upper echelon of forwards in the league, Tatum at this point in his career is not a threat to just win the scoring title every year because he is legitimately a guy that has the pull-up three-point shot and is still not great at the rim, but still decent enough outside of really the finals of finishing at the cup. But Brandon Ingram is a master of using his size to his advantage, and you really saw him on full display. No matter what coverage the Phoenix Suns threw at him and no matter what floor spacing they really had around him, he was a monster. He was the best player on the floor of that series, and that really means something when you're going up against a team that was top three in the defensive end, was built essentially to guard him with Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, all of these different lengthy 3 and D wings that are built to guard guys like him there was nothing they can do when it came to different schemes. That means a lot for me when I got to see a heavy dose of a guy who had really had never had, he had never played a playoff game in his career, and he came out as a guy that looked like Kevin Durant. So I have a pair of guards here that are barely outside my top 15. I think you're going to have them in your top 15 on the math. I've got Damian Lillard at 17. I got Trey Young at 16. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing you got them in your top 15, clearly. I do. So yes. here, here's the problem I've got. The Trey Young, uh, the the Heat series was freaking awful. I can't, like that might be if I'm doing the recent memory of All NBA. What was he All NBA second team or I, I think it was second team last year. He he was an All NBA player, regardless of, of what the the math is. In terms of All NBA players, I have never seen in this past decade a worse playoff performance by what has been known as a top 15 guy for the most part in the league ever. He was abominable in that series. And then with Dame, I've got him outside my top 15 because look, like the hardest thing I think with this exercise, how do I evaluate the player versus the value? Because of course with Dame, it's the contract. It's his, he's in his mid thirties. Like how does I, how, how do I equate that? But I think with Dame, the only issue I have is the mid-30s being a point guard does matter. We've seen this with in history with Kevin Johnson and Isaiah Thomas. You run down the entire list of point guards don't age well. And even with Dame shooting, it still won't he still won't be like the the MVP candidate he was in two thousand in the in like this past decade. But the other thing too with with uh, Dame Lillard, 
the defense is really bad, and it's a similar note where you really – it's also a trade too. You really need to put so much resources into fixing these guys' weaknesses, which is defense and everything defensive on that side of the court. That's why I have them low, and I'm assuming that's why – I'm assuming that's not necessarily as much value to you for why you put them in your top 15. No. One of the reasons why both of them are in my top 15 is when you want to rank players by their on-court gravity, the amount of eyes that they demand every time that they step foot across half-court. Damian Lillard, you're seeing hands go up for him at half-court. The only other player like that in the league is Steph Curry, and we'll obviously get to Curry way later. But Damian Lillard, coming off of this injury, I understand that the age is a concern, as well as the contract situation all the way through his age 36-37 season. I expect to see a lot of the same player that we have for much of the last decade. He's also, more importantly, going to be healthy for to start the year, which was not the case last year because of the Olympics, which that's got to matter too. Yeah, he was playing Olympics. He was essentially playing on another short offseason. This is the first full offseason that we've had since pre-COVID. So... This is going to be one of those things that I think this season we see somewhat of a revert back to the golden age of the late 2010s when we saw just a ridiculous amount of really, really good high-level players playing at their best. So Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, this is not a conversation about their entire team. This is strictly a revert to I expect to see some of the best ball of his career from him at least this season because I think that there's a case to be made that Anthony Simons – this coming season, can be a better number two alongside Lillard than McCollum ever was. So when you pair him with a guy that actually is a bigger guard that traverses pick and roll much better on the offensive and defensive end, is not a stationary one-dimensional scorer off the bounce, you're going to see Lillard be able to move without the ball more freely, probably be a more decisive playmaker, and it's one of the reasons why I never really entertained the idea of thinking that Kyrie was straight up better than Lillard. Lillard does way more things well offensively than Kyrie. Kyrie is the more flashy, put it on the deck and make a highlight reel play. Lillard is the guy who, to best sum of his career, he was a 51% shooter in the clutch over these last two seasons, even when he wasn't healthy last year. That's still the best mark, not only among guards, but among non-bigs in the league. So he is, when he's at his best, the most wave goodbye to the other team player in the entire league. I expect a lot of the same from that. Then quickly to run through. Well, yeah, real, real quick, I have one point, but the other difference too, that I, the reason I like that point, as much as I hate the comparison the media gives it, Damian Lillard is... Steph Curry light version because you can actually build an offense around him whereas Kyrie Irving we have not seen that in recent years and I think that's got to factor in too I'm gonna do actually I'm gonna run out the top 15 because I think this is where it's gonna get we're gonna for the most part have players but there'll be a lot of debate here 15 I have Zion Williamson we've already covered him 14 I have Devin Booker 13 John Morant 12 this is the the big one I have Anthony Davis 12 which I know you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have some sparks over that and then 11 I've got Paul George so I got Paul George a little higher we gotta have the Anthony Davis conversation of what is the deal with this guy because damn it he, the injuries have been so bad the past couple of years the shooting last season was horrible I think he had wasn't it like the worst season for a for shooting from three from a big man 
who took like two attempt, like at least two attempts per game. It, like there was some crazy stat where he was like, uh, it was not as bad as Barkley when he was in his prime, who was actually taking two to three a game. But the actual stat that you were referring to was Anthony Davis among all players in the league who took at least three jump shots per game was dead last in the league in points per jump shot. He shot 17% from three, and I think like 31% from like any mid-ranger whatsoever. And here's the issue is like what made him so good in the bubble, and I think the reason we had him high last season was the the jump shot because it's like, okay, you can't stop him at the rim – now you got to he can put the ball on the basket. He can make he's an he's an excellent playmaker off of pick and roll, and he could shoot now from all over the court. And the thirty six percent from three in the bubble was an outlier. The what was it fifty seven percent from mid range in the bubble was clearly an outlier by double, nearly double the amount that he did last season. And the injuries, man, like Anthony Davis is about to be thirty. He's he's in the late twenties right now. Like, do, do, there's no. Unless we see like a Bob McAdoo renaissance of some kind where he just like comes back to form, I, I don't see it for Davis, but there's so much potential. Last year was a Lakers season from hell. I, I do think if healthy, and it's again a big if, I think I, I value the upside a lot, which is why I think I have him so high. Is he a little too high? Probably. Maybe he's more like a 15. Maybe he's 15, 16 in the Zion Williamson range. But his skill set, though, that we've seen in 2020 and in 2021 before the injury was really, really good. I don't think that I am off on his forecast. I think that I am just essentially putting a chip on his shoulder to prove me wrong. You are on the opposite end of the spectrum where you are just putting him at 12 because you know that his talent package in theory, should be one of the 10 to 15 best players in the league, if not even better. He was one of the five best players in the league at certain points throughout his career, his first season in L.A., as well as the last couple of seasons before he quit on the Pelicans. That's not the player that we're looking at anymore. I don't think that we should look at the guy after two back-to-back seasons of him either folding being injured or a combination of both as a guy that can just revert back to all NBA dominant MVP level level status. I think that at this point we have to have the conversation of does he still have a season like that in him? And if so, can I at least see it? Because we haven't seen him have back to back or excuse me over the last two seasons. We have not seen him have three consecutive games where we go. That's the bubble level AD where we were having legitimate conversations until game four of the NBA finals as to if the Lakers hold on here, who is the finals MVP? Well, well, real quick, because on the Lakers you, right now, who's you, their best player? You bit your tongue, though, but I, I was here's the point you were you were about to make that I'm going to make. AD hasn't had back-to-back seasons, period, in terms of success. Because remember, 2018, he has an awesome year. 2019 is the I'm going to tank my way out of New Orleans year. He's got the bubble year in 2020. Two seasons ago, he gets injured. Last year, he's injured and it's horrible. So we haven't seen it in, it would be half a decade if it doesn't work this year. The case for it, though, is if you're looking at it, out of any player in the league, if you had to build a team around the skill sets on paper and what we've seen so far, Anthony Davis has to be up there in the top 10, just in terms of the value he gives you on defense, the value he gives you on offense. But I do echo your concerns, though, where... Like, part of it is a wait and see because I think the Lakers need to give AD the ball more. And I think Darvin Ham will do that because LeBron's 38 years old and really can't be 36 minutes a night. 
unless he gets injured after the 30th game because that would be impossible. It would be some some alien stuff if he does that. AD is the hardest to project probably on this list, I I would say right now. Yeah, hardest to project. The other reason why is how many games do we project he should play? Because here's the other thing. You mentioned Paul George. One of the most shocking stats since all those players went to their current team, which would be the Clippers and Lakers, Anthony Davis has played more games in a Lakers jersey than Kawhi and PG have had for the Clippers. Which is insane. That's crazy. It's Yeah, it's insane to think, but it's still one of the crazy truths in the NBA over these last few seasons is really there really hasn't been anyone outside of really Giannis and Jokic who have been the always there for them, their team superstars in the league. I guess Doncic as well, but Doncic just showed up out of shape a couple of seasons back to back as well. So the All only right. the only con- the, the only conversation point I have left in my 10, 11 to fifteen are is are John Morant and Devin Booker in this range for you? Or are they higher? They're both in this range. Perfect. So we agree Booker, on something. <laughs> I have Booker at eleven and Morant at thirteen. I think one of the most fascinating questions going into this season is a start bench cut of Booker, Lillard, and Morant. How would you rank those three? Oh, Christ. That would be impossible. <laughs> Me, right. I, I mean, if I had to do it off the top of my head, I'd say Booker. Oh, shit. Uh, Booker, I'm going to say Booker start, John ja Morant bench, Lillard cut. And even then, I'm going to like pinch my – I'm going to bite my tongue there. But I would probably I would be confident with that. We, we there's really we we know the just with those two guys, and we'll hash it out later. I think we need to get to the top ten now because this is where it's gonna get wild. I think we have the, a similar top ten, which is kind of funny. But I think that we have the same exact ten players. So but order is something that we'll have to tussle. So ten, I've got Jimmy Butler. I think out of any the the only reason he's in my top ten is. I think you could still make a finals if he's your best player, even with the age. And we've seen it now with multiple playoff series is that he, he can be the best player on, on, on the court for a game or two. And I think that's got to matter. The, the reason I have him low is the injuries, the durability, and the lack of a three-point shot. Because I think that's got to be factored in. Number nine, Jason Tatum. MVP candidate last year, jack of all trades. I would like to see the finishing and the mid-ranger be a bit better, but he has he's one of the most underrated defensive players in the league. He can score 40 points in a playoff game, even if they're, the Celtics are down 20 and they can make a game interesting. I've got him at nine, and then I've got LeBron at eight. And I think that's one of the more – I'm going to stop it there. I don't want to do six and seven yet. Let's start with those three. I've got Butler 10, Tatum 9, LeBron 8. Are any of those three not in that in that range? Okay, let me start by saying I also have Butler and Tatum at ten and nine in the same order. Let's go. <laughs> why I have Butler at ten is honestly because I needed a tenth player. I consider the top nine to be a sect above everybody else currently in the league. If, if you're tearing this, by the way, Butler might be a tier in his own. Like Butler might just be ten by himself because he 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 can, he has the upside of a Tatum or a LeBron, but there's also the concerns that I think the eleven through fifteen group have. But it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, if, if Anthony Davis is healthy and balling, then he should probably be in that same Butler tier as well. But for the same reasons that we've discussed, that's not the case. Butler, yes. I think that he is just barely on the outside looking in of if you were to just say, where do you cut the line? Where do you draw the line of superstar to all-star? Jason Tatum, to me, this past season, finally, after basically two seasons of thinking that he was going to do it, 
has taken the leap into superstardom, and now he is in a class among the very best in the NBA, which once you're in club superstar, it's very hard to just step outside for a breath and come back in because everybody inside of there plays like it every single night, and it comes with a very prestigious you know, wristband that you're able to get when you finally get in. So, Jimmy Butler, we understand the deficiencies offensively, but one of the things that you still can't take for granted is even if he yells at Eric Spolstra and the team somewhat has, you know, a going off essentially in the group chat of who knows what's going wrong, there's always just the constant of he's going to take care of his part. And if not for the fact that we were having this discussion after the Eastern Conference Finals, which is who should have been the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. Butler was probably the best player in the series, but the reason why he didn't get it is because, unlike Jason Tatum, he didn't have any just straight-up awful games. Or, excuse me, unlike... Jason Tatum didn't have any, unlike Jimmy Butler, straight-up awful games, which is games three through five, when you just didn't know if the Heat would ever score. And that's one of the reasons why, as your offensive engine, if Jimmy Butler is your clear number one you're still going to have a capped ceiling. Moving on to Jason Tatum, like you mentioned, two weaknesses. His ability to finish at the rim the same way that we expect Kawhi, LeBron, Durant to. If he's able to get to that level, then we're absolutely talking about him in the conversation of could be the best wing in the NBA, if not the best player at some point in his career. And he's just got to stop turning the ball over quite as much as he did. This past playoffs, he became the first player since LeBron joined the league to not be to finish the playoffs, leading the playoffs in total points as well as total assists. But he also set the all-time record for most amount of turnovers in a playoff run. That's something that he's got to clean up. He doesn't really have any ball handling issues like he used to have early in his career. So he's at least going to make essentially dead ball turnovers if he throws it away versus having those killer, you know, gives it to the other team and they run down and get an easy bucket and they're able to just eat up clock and eat up points right away. So some of those mistakes are not really in Tatum's arsenal anymore. That's a really good thing. That's one of the reasons why he takes a step up. You have LeBron at eight and I have a problem with that. Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have Kawhi at eight. Okay, so wait, well, real quick, so this is why I wanted to wait until I do six and seven, because I've got Kawhi six, and I've got him beat seven, if if that's the same tier you've got around that range. So, yes, ish, I have Kawhi at eight, and I have him beat at seven, so that's essentially, you just have those flipped, I would assume. Yeah. But, yes. So, for me, Kawhi hasn't played ball in almost 500 days. We saw Durant be able to come back and look like nothing really happened. He didn't miss a beat when he was at the Nets a couple of years ago when he was coming off of the same injury and he missed more than a full season. So if that's the Kawhi that we get almost instantly, then I will stand corrected. But I still have him as the eighth best player in the league. I still expect him to have a better season than Jason Tatum this coming year. Well, and to be fair, when when we did the rankings for this – like for this group, Kawhi's uh, average ranking, by the way, was a eight. It was an eight point two when I did it with sixteen people total, like this poll. So we were we were in the same ballpark. Wow. Okay. 
So yeah, I guess I have him as the consensus number eight player. Because the cons- the concern is the injury, but the 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 reason you rank him is the upside. If he's healthy, it'll be Raptors Kawhi again. Like we saw yep. the Mavericks series in twenty twenty one where he was just awesome. Like if he's healthy, you can make a case the Clippers make the finals and probably could arguably win in twenty one too. Like there's there's a lot of untapped potential there. Oh yeah, if he never gets injured, I can make the case yeah that the Clippers potentially go on to win that championship. And at that point, we're talking about Kawhi as the best player in the world, not somebody else who we'll get to later. But that's not how the cards folded. And we are essentially are having the same discussion that we seem to have too much during Kawhi's career, which is, will he be there for his team? What version of him will we get? We know that when he's on the floor, he's as hungry and he's like more of a predator than any player in the league, arguably. But... I'm still looking at him as a guy who is not a strong playmaker, especially for a wing of his size. He's also a guy where I'm not sure what defense he's really played since he joined the Clippers. He is heralded when he's at his best as the best two-way wing, but I can't really say that I would have him as a quote-unquote two-way wing over Jason Tatum. Agreed. I it's it's more theory and legacy from a couple of years ago than actual for now. We got to see it. Yeah. And the reason why I have him just one spot ahead of Tatum is I expect him to continue to be the better scorer because unlike Tatum, he is a legitimate three-level scorer. But I don't. Ex- but he's a three-level scorer, but he's not as good of a three-level scorer as Kevin Durant, and he's not the best offensive wing in the NBA. So you take a guy that is not on the all-defensive level as well as the all-offensive level. You're just looking at a guy who is an offensive masterpiece of a machine. That's the player that we have at this point. So we stop saying best two-way wing in basketball. We start saying Kawhi Leonard. Uh, seven, I've got Embiid. Uh, I, I mean, the case has already been well-documented, and we'll, we'll talk about it a lot, but I think we're in agreement that he's in that range. So the real question is the top five. So I'm going to lay out the top five, and we'll, we'll go back and forth, and then we'll wrap up. Fifth, it's a similar case with Butler, but on a higher level. I've got Durant in a tier of his own at number five. Because I think there are four players that are better than him in terms of their ceiling as everything, having the versatility. Durant, it's a case of with the drama this past offseason, the, the, the disappointment, to be honest, in that Boston series that I think people have forgotten about because of all the off-court drama. I have Durant at five. This leaves me with four guys left. I've got Steph Curry, number four. I've got Luka, number three. I've got Jokic, two, and I've got Giannis, one. And... We, you can do like the final uh, hoorahs for all of those players, but to keep it short, Giannis is easily the most well-rounded player in basketball. Even with Pat Connaughton and Grayson Allen playing 30 minutes a night, Boston, this Milwaukee still almost beat Boston in a seven-game series, which matters. He's got everything. He could MVP candidate for the next decade. I've got him penciled in. Jokic at number two is honestly the most surprising to me because if you had done this before this past season, I think I had him like six or seven. And going from the seventh best player to the second best player is an incredible leap, given that Denver is just, it, it goes back to my theory. If you have him on your team, you're going to win 48 to 54 games, no matter who's on the court. Like, do you realize how bad that team was, by the way, last year with Denver, with Will Barden and Monte Morris being the second, third, or third and fourth best players, and they still won 48 games? Like, that's got to matter. 
Luca a game better than they did the previous season when they had Jamal Murray and Michael Porter for almost the entire season. <laughs> so that's the reason I got Jokic. It's pretty clear. Luke, the the tough one honestly was where to put Curry, but Curry I put fourth because of the age, and I feel like Golden State would rather save him than use him. But he is above Durant because I've seen it now with. Like, the Warriors run last year makes no sense. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, it's not that I'm underrating the Warriors, but they, they this team wasn't really all that good. If you look at the guys they were playing, like, like Draymond Green wasn't himself. It's not the same Draymond. Klay Thompson is not the same Klay coming off the injury. You're playing Jordan Poole huge minutes because you have nobody else to dribble the ball. It's a lot of non-shooters. You have to play a Kevin Looney-type guy or a super small Gary Payton or Iggy at center. And what he did in that Boston series... It's a lot of legacy stuff that we've, we've, we've hashed months ago, but it's also the greatness of Curry as a playoff performer, which I think has to matter when you're doing the top five. If like The way I see it, if I see you as versatile, my tiebreaker is who would I rather have in a playoff game? And I would really want Curry over Durant at this point. Uh, Lucas three for me just because of how awesome he was in that Phoenix series, how awesome he was in the Utah series when he was back. He's going to be in shape this year, which I think matters. He, he, he's probably my bet right now for the MVP if it's not Giannis or Jokic. And I think he'll come into shape. He'll come into the season in shape, durable, and ready to go. So that rounds out my top five. You can give your closing remarks now for each of those top five players. All right, so let's start with number six, which this is a real discussion. Like for the first time really that I can remember of me ranking players – one of LeBron or Durant is not a top five player anymore. It's shocking to say. But at this point, I actually have LeBron a hair ahead of Durant still. Okay. LeBron at this point to me is just focused on longevity, I guess, accomplishments of him trying to put the ball in the basket and see, like, he's going to become the all-time leading scorer this season, but is 50,000 points a foregone conclusion could he get there within the next you know five to six seasons if he were to just put his head down and wants to get the to the rim like a la zion kind of season there's nothing out of his range at this point given the fact that you know father time may take its first l over the first or these next few seasons where he's already had the greatest year 15 a player's ever had greatest year 16 greatest year 17 18 and 19 if he is the same player, you know, in 2025, 26 as he is now, he's going to be a guy who might finish 10,000 points ahead of everyone else all time. And that's probably where we're at in his career. I also don't think that he's won his last ring during his career, but I can't necessarily say the same thing about Kevin Durant. Durant is somebody who looked to be overwhelmed in that Boston series and looked like somebody who was kind of lost out there. He was struggling to handle the basketball, was still making shots because he's Kevin Durant, but was also having his worst playoff run that he had had essentially of his entire career. And to me, going to this season, I would still rather have LeBron by a hair. But the top four to me are pretty clear, and they're, ahead, they're a step ahead of everybody else. They are the same four that you have. Just I have a slightly different order. I have Luca four. Oh, that was that was my tough card. I was between Luca and Curry for four, man. That was a, that was a tough call. Yep, I was between Luca and Curry at four, and I just harken back to what I saw in that Memphis or in that Dallas and Golden State series in 
the Western Conference Finals where I think arguably that the teams are really evenly matched except for the fact that one team just had an all-time sniper who was doing amazing things, whereas Luka looked to be out of gas too much because the Warriors were making him defend and making him defend in space. That's not necessarily something that the Mavs were just able to key in on Curry the way that teams have keyed in on Curry on that end of the floor, basically the bulk of his career. So I still have Luka at four. I have Curry at three. And we have the same top two in that order. Jokic at two, Giannis at one. Giannis is unequivocally the best player in the league. I don't think for the first time since maybe 2018 LeBron, we've necessarily had a player that is at this level where it's silly to question who is the best player in the league because it's obviously somebody. And the real question is, who is the second best player in the league? Which I think is also kind of clear that it's Jokic as well. Yep. And going into this season, no player has won back-to-back-to-back MVPs since Bird in the mid-'80s. And that's when he was busy winning finals MVPs and going deep in the playoffs every year. So I think that the voters will probably have fatigue when it comes to him. But there's nothing stopping him from having one of those ridiculous seasons where he might shoot 60% and score 27, 14, and 8, the same thing that he did last year, because he's going to have extra weapons around him. Supposedly, Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray are healthy again, so I don't think that voters will be able to make the case that they did last season of, look at who he's playing with. There's no way that they should be this good. Jokic is just going to put his head down and produce every night. Giannis, much of the same. Those have been the two most durable superstars in the league over the last few years, and I think that they are the two best players. You have to love an exercise where we yell at each other for 45 minutes over the 15 or the 10, the 11 through 25 group, and then we get the top 10 basically almost identically without even. And keep in mind, we of course we didn't mention this at the beginning of the pod. We did not talk about our list beforehand, so of course it shows we're on the same wavelength. It also shows I think that. There's a clear top 10, and then honestly, the rest is all subjective based on what you value, whether it's durability, availability, versatility, position, past versus future, all that sort of stuff. But Micah, I mean, unless you have any other concluding thoughts, this is was an awesome episode. It's, it's good to have basketball back in the fold, and we're going to have a lot more crazy stuff to talk about with the over-under lines and our way-too-early season award predictions and honestly just the narrative stuff with this season with all, how crazy this offseason was, how it went by – like there was an offseason part one and a part two, and that allowed us to get to this point where we are two weeks away from basketball returning. So it was really good to have you on again. Yep. Thank God basketball is back.